But uh, hey, it's great to see you this morning. I want to commend you for, for being here, your commitment to the Lord on these mornings. I come in, like a lot of you, into the garage parked there, and I see you guys coming in, and it's, uh, it's an exciting thing. So way to go, and praise the Lord. But guys that are missing around your table, um, I see a couple of full tables. Um, my table's all here today, and we are ready to roll. For guys that aren't here, let's encourage them. We're going, to, we're going to talk about it today a little bit. Let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not to uh, neglect the assembling of the saints, as the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, but we're so glad that you're here. I've also, I've also told that if you didn't uh, sign in today, we'd love to have a record of your visit. And if you're a guest, we especially want you to, want to know uh, that you're here today. Jeff White is right back there with... Uh, yeah, with the, with the roster. Yeah, come on, let's give it up to Jeff White, helping us out on these mornings. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, so on your way out, if you'll remember to do that, or even now, or, get, you, you know, anytime, you can get up and get you, a new, get you a donut, get more to drink, or whatever you need. So, uh, hey, it's great, great to have you here. Some of you, like me, um, maybe yesterday you, you caught some of what was taking place in the news um, we had another shooting down in Florida, Parkland, Florida. And the last I heard, uh, 17 high school students were killed. Is it more than that this morning? Do we know? I know a couple of them had died at the hospital. And so uh, that kind of thing is just so heartbreaking. And I want us to pray for those families and just ask God to bless them uh, today and in these days to come. Those are, those are those moments you can't understand why things like that happen. And uh, so I want us to pray and, and pray for them as we begin our study today. Uh, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? It's so good to see you men here today. Lord, we're encouraged to be together. You realize we're not alone in this, in this spiritual journey we're on, this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in often or always, even today. It'll be a battle for our hearts, a battle for, uh, for your will to be done in our lives. Help us to realize and remember that we are in a war. But help us to remember, too, that you have won the war. And as we've celebrated uh, the, the start of this Easter season with Ash Wednesday, we, we now move into a time of consecration, a time to set ourselves apart in your word and in prayer throughout these, these days towards Easter. And I pray that it would be a time of intensive focus for each of us. But we, we don't do it alone. We have each other. And I pray that we be godly men, be leaders in our families and in our relationships, in our church, our churches. We, we pray, God, that you would use this time and maximize it for your glory. We ask that you would bless those families uh, in Parkland, Florida. We pray, Lord, for, for your spirit to fall upon them and comfort to come. And for those of us who have or have had high school Students, all of us having been in high school, I can't imagine to lose a high school student. So we pray for your comfort and peace for them and pray for revival to come into that town. Lord, we pray that revival would come into our hearts, into our churches and into our city and into our lives. So use this time to draw us to you. I pray in Jesus name. Amen and amen. You may turn to the book of Nehemiah, um, tell you where we're heading in just a moment, uh, give you a, a review 
as we look back just a bit. Some of you have been here every week, um, and way to go. Don't miss a week. You know, we're past the, past the halfway point. We're pressing on through this incredible book, which really is a book on leadership. And that's what we're talking about uh, each morning as we gather together. He, he first, uh, here's the news in chapter 1 uh, of, the, of the disrepair of the walls. The walls have, have essentially fallen down in Jerusalem. He hears and he responds first with prayer. He heads back. He's a man of action. If there's anything to be said about Nehemiah, he has a bias towards action. Not to take credit, but to get the work done. Uh, and he, he does so. He, he heads back to Jerusalem. But as we're going to see today, the building of the wall uh, was a means to another end. He wasn't simply going to build a building or build a wall. Uh, he goes uh, to build or rebuild uh, to seek revival among the people. In chapter 2, he examines the walls. We spent some time in our study on that day, and that week we talked about examining our own walls, the walls of our lives, to see where we are and, and how, how we're doing in certain areas that would hold us up and would, would guard our hearts. And then in chapter 3, uh, he goes to rebuild the walls. Chapter 4, he faces opposition. We said, you know, uh, these guys coming after him, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. Geshem, they're coming after him throughout the building of the wall. We said the closer you get to what God has called you to do, the more likely you are. In fact, you will certainly face opposition. Uh, then, then he had to pause and, and, and uh, look at the needs of the people. There was some injustice going on within the, within the Israelites, and he had to address that. Then we looked at increasing opposition uh, last week and the finishing of the wall. In 52 days, they finished the wall amidst great uh, opposition and then in chapter 7, uh, we see a list of returned exiles. Now, some of you know the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. They go together. They're contemporaries. And Ezra is a scribe. He's a priest and a scribe. So if, if Nehemiah, the cupbearer, kind of a governor in the end, he's a, he's a representative uh, of the king who goes, and he's given freedom to rebuild the walls. Ezra comes along aside him as uh, the spiritual leader, and uh, they both, though, have the same intent, the same goal in mind, the same end, which is to see a rebuilding of the hearts of God's people. Um, so Ezra comes back as well. In fact, Ezra leads a contingent of exiles, and that's what we see in chapter 7. I think it's interesting that you, we, could, you know, we could spend a lot of time reading through chapter 7, and if you, if you can go ahead and turn there, if you want to turn to chapter 7, uh, it says the Spirit continued to lead them. He said, Then my God, in verse, four, verse 5, put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and enroll the people. He did a genealogy, kind of a, a sense of who's here, who's not here, where are you from, because the people had been in exile. They had been separated all this time. Interesting in chapter 7 that all of the people are listed and the numbers of those who are part of their clan. I think that's, that's intriguing to me that every single person matters. Not a one. We read this story and we kind of brush through, but these are lives like us, men like us, who li live during this time, guiding and leading their family, and they're coming back to Jerusalem following exile. This is a momentous moment in their history. It's possible uh, for us, like Nehemiah, who had to keep the people on task, it's possible for us to often forget what we're really doing. Uh, We've got to ask the question over and over again, uh, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And I don't just mean here in this Bible study. That's a good question. What are we doing here in this Bible study? What are we doing here as a church? 
Uh, if you're not a member of the church, what is the church all about? We've got to always recalibrate back to mission or we're prone to get off track. Some of you heard me mention um, or, or know Warren Bennis uh, talked about the unconscious conspiracy within any organization. It happens in your workplace, happens in your family, happens in a church, and can happen in your life. The unconscious conspiracy is the subtitle or the focus of a book that he calls uh, Why Leaders Can't Lead. And his premise is, it's not about always about the leader. He says it's an unconscious conspiracy in every organization to do what's best for those who are already members of it at the expense of, of reaching out to others who are not yet a part of the organization, if that's the goal of the organization. Now, if you're a country club, you're probably good, right? Let's do what's best for us. We don't care about anybody else outside of this deal. But let's do what's best for us. Let's take care of the greens, right? Let's make sure the golf, let's golf pros doing a good job, you know, all that. Um, that's not the way the church functions, right? The church is not a country club. The church is a, is a, a rescue ship on mission to save souls who are drowning and dying. But we can get off track. And I can tell you, you know, I know it's true in my life personally. It's true uh, as a pastor. It's true, it's true in a church. The unconscious conspiracy can take any organization down. He calls it the unconscious conspiracy because the people in the organization don't realize it's happening. It's unconscious. And it's a conspiracy because it works against everything you're trying to do. And when you think about that, you think about your own life today. Nehemiah was faced with that. It's like, wow, we're building a wall. This is fantastic. They get the wall built and they say, man, this is incredible. Churches can do that, right? We're blessed with with incredible facilities here at our church. We're in conversation now. Some of you know, some of you, many of you are deacons here in the room. Uh, we, we, we looked at, at plans that a committee's been working on for some time now. Uh, and, and this conversation's out in the body about, about uh, uh, looking at our sanctuary and, and thinking about how we can, we can uh, press into the next generation. What can we do to improve a sanctuary that's been been there for, for many, many years, decades, a beautiful, amazing structure. But what might God be leading us to do as we pass all things on to the next generation? Why would we do this? Back to mission, right? The unconscious conspiracy would cause us to drift, and, and, and yet we come back to Scripture. That's the question. You know, How would you know if you're getting off track, and what do you do about it? Well, as we're going to see today, we must always return to God's Word. The call today for every one of you, is to return to God's Word. You might say, well, I don't know. I need to return. I've been in the Word of God. I'm, I'm in the Word. But I want you to turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, and I want to see how we, too, can get off track, and I want, us to, want to call us back to the Word of God. This is an incredible moment in this story. What we see here is a revival taking place. It's kind of the formula for revival, if you will. I, I wouldn't say there's a formula for revival as if we could just kind of push some buttons and God will do what He's going to do. God's going to do what He wants to do because He's God. But there is a positioning of God's people, and we see it here. And I want us to apply this to our lives, and then we're going to enter into a time where we can discuss this together. And as always, iron sharpening iron, we're going to encourage each other. Um, now, forgetting God's Word happens more than you, than you would think. Uh, if you know anything about church history, all we've got to do, or gosh, even uh, redemptive history. You look back to Second Chronicles chapter 34, there's a time when Josiah, you might remember this story, he's the king. He's a good king. He's following the way of his father. It was, a, it was a consecutive succession of good kings. That was rare back in those days. But he's the king, 
And, uh, and there's a moment, though, he's calling the people back to God because they've, they've gone way far away. They are not following the Lord. And then there's a moment in 2 Chronicles 34 where um, the scribe finds the law of Moses. They're, they're, re, they're, they're doing a rebuilding of their own, and he finds the Bible, in essence, their Bible. Can you imagine that? To be here in the church, and we're kind of clearing out some closets, and, and they wow, what's going on here? And man, you know, things don't seem to be going well here. And, and a building, by the way, the whole point of the wall, and at this time in Israel under Josiah, buildings in disrepair, the, the town in disrepair, the temple was in disrepair. And that's probably a, a sign that the people's hearts are in disrepair. That the hearts need to be revived. So can you imagine us cleaning up, going in the closet somewhere, and, and, and I'm, I'm coming out saying, hey, guys, I found something. Holy smoke, what is this? This is a Bible. I found a Bible. Let's check this out, why don't we? Could it be possible that God's people be so far off track that they've completely forgotten the Bible? It's possible. You all know that you know, in the fall we, we um, celebrated the 500 year of, of the Reformation. And uh, that, was, that was a return to the Bible. We'd lost the scriptures. The sola scriptura was the driving battle cry of the Reformation. Scripture alone is our authority. Nothing else, not the traditions of man, not the hierarchy of the church, not a priestly group of people or the Pope, but the Word of God. It happens. We see it in the, there, the 1500s. You see it in the 1700s. John Wesley, among others, bringing the Word of God back to the people to apply to life. Well, we see it here. And after the rebuilding of the wall uh, in chapter 6, the people come back. And now we find Ezra uh, reading the law of God to the people. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man. In fact, let's do this, men. Let's do this for just a moment. Sorry to interrupt. I want you to step back from your table a bit, push back. I want us to stand. I want you to stand, and I want you to hold the Word of God with you, in front of you. I'm reading from the ESV. I want us to stand in honor of God's Word and uh, to wake you back up again. See, that's good. All right, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man. It's another way of saying it. They were united. This is what corporate worship looks like. In the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from, the, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stay until, until noon. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform hmm, they, that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood all of these men on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it... All the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, everybody together, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
Also, this group of men held the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their place, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave sense. That is, they explained it. They made, they made sense of it so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Israelites who taught the people said to all the people, this, is, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord, to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the, Israel, so the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's apply this passage to our lives. I can't tell you how that is really cool to be up here to see you guys standing before God, reading the word of God on this Thursday morning before we start the day. First, I want you to see the powerful effects of God's Word. Number one, and you can write this down as we follow along together. God's Word unites His people. Verse 1, it says they stood, or they, they were there as one man. God's Word is what unites us, what ties us together. And friends, this is so important for us to remember as we um, interact in, in the body of Christ, uh, as we go about our days, that it's not going to be... Uh, our age that, that unites us. It's not going to be our gender. It's not going to be the color of our skin. It's not going to be our economic uh, position or even uh, our understanding of Scripture, where we are spiritually. We could be brand new believer, not a believer, or have been a believer for many, many years. What unites us is the truth about us that's found in the Word of God. And, and, and this is what unites the church together. Churches across uh, denominations even. If we are centered on the word of God. God's word unites his people. And it unites us. Uh, that's important to remember. We always get back. Everything recalibrates back to the word of God. When there's a disagreement. When we're challenged or wondering. How is God leading us? It's his word that leads us. Look at number two. God's word is at the center of our gatherings and our community. God's Word is always central to what we do. It's what we're doing today. Why would we come together today uh, other than to come and to look at His Word and apply it to our lives? When we rediscover God's words uh, in our lives, His Word, we experience revival in our hearts. Um, I, I've talked, I talked last night at a service we, we had here about the importance of the discipline of remembrance. Uh, we practice it with the Lord's Supper. But every time we come together, even this morning, I got a sense... You came and you're a part of this. You're committed to this Bible study because you, you love to, to understand the Word of God. It's exactly what we're doing. We read the Word of God, explain it, and apply it. And you want that to be true of your life. You also love to come alongside other men and do it together. But I got a hunch that deep in your heart of hearts, there's this thing calling you out to come and be in His house, to be here on Sunday, to say, I want to be reminded again after a tough week where I feel like I'm living in exile, I want to go to the people of God. I want to hear the Word of God. I want to be reminded of who I am. And I want to, be, I want to remember God's great love for me. And I want to live in that. 
Every time we gather, we practice this discipline of remembrance. It's throughout Scripture. And when we read the Word of God, we're reminded of truth that we veered from throughout the day or throughout a week. Look at uh, number three here. God's Word transforms us as we engage in it for extended times and with attentive hearts. It says in verse 3 that they, they stood there from early morning until midday. And it says they were attentive to the, the reading. All the ears of the people were attentive. Notice the extended time in His Word. Here's a challenge for you. When's the last time you spent extended time in the Word of God? I think many men are defeated when we come to a challenge towards a, a devotional commitment time of, uh, with the Lord in, in prayer. We think, well, man, i got to go at it for you know, an hour a day or it's not worth a whole lot. And I'd argue, no, go at it for five minutes. You can give five minutes of your whole day to the Lord. Start there. But there are times when you need extended time in His Word to sit and to read an entire book of the Bible uh, at one sitting, to, to spend time in one passage unpacking it, thinking about it, meditating on it. When's the last time you spent extended time within an attentive heart in the Word of God? Not simply hearing the preaching of the Word, but you being before the Spirit of God, listening to the Word of God that will point you to the Son of God. The Word of God is powerful and demands our full attention and undying uh, devotion. Do you have this kind of passion? These people had a passion for the Word of God. Uh, and then in, in verses 4 and 5, look at this, number 4. God's Word cultivates our hearts toward worship. You know, to, to know Him is to worship Him, right? If you, if you lack a passion for worship, men, listen, it's probably because you don't know God for who He is. In fact, I'm sure it is. The more we know Him, the more we're going to worship Him. Because, because knowing God draws us to how great He is and how mighty, how loving He is. We can't but worship Him. And it is the Word of God that shows us who He is. Our problem in worship is our lack, our, our lack of commitment. It's not unlike what we've heard from the Pharaoh recently. If you go to our church, we've walked through the, walking through the book of Exodus a bit. And he asked the question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Uh, who is the Lord? He was, we, we noted he's a, he was a polytheist. He believed in gods, but he didn't believe in the one true God that Moses came to, to tell him about. And then God would reveal himself, certainly, in the plagues to come. Uh, but he says, who is the Lord? If you don't know the Lord, you're not going to worship him. And if you don't know of his great character and his traits, his love for you, uh, you won't worship him. We see that in his word. We know him because of the word he's given us. Then look at number, uh, number five. God's word brings conviction that leads to repentance. This is what we see in verses six through nine. You kind of heard it there where, where they were calming the people. Nehemiah and, and Ezra, they had to say, hey, 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 calm down, calm down. What was going on here? You see, what happened was they're reading the word of God. And they're so broken by the word of God being, being uh, shared with them clearly, it says in verse 8. They gave sense to it. This is what we do regularly. We reread the word of God. We, we bring sense to it, clarity. In fact, that word this, to bring sense or gave sense to, it, it means literally to make distinct. This is an interesting word. It's to separate it from something else. Men, the word of God, you know this, is unlike any other uh, book in the, in the world it's not only the number one bestseller, the most read book of all time, but it is the Word of God given to us. Some of you have seen um, different tribes or groups of people. Uh, I've seen um, some of the, like Tyndale Press and others who, who uh, get Bibles into the hands of people who don't have the Word of God. They have portions of it, 
But then they end up getting these shipments of Bibles coming in. And some of you have seen, like me, people just, I mean, weeping, celebrating. I showed a, a, a video one point not too many years ago of a tribe, and they had brought out the, all the people, and, and, a, and a plane was coming in to bring the Bible to the people. And they came out with all of their garb on and all of their tribal leaders, and they had dances and celebrations all set up. And then they came out with these with a, with a boxes of, of a box of Bibles on these these pallets, and they had this great ceremony as they came and. and and one man opened the word of God. Can you imagine a town of people, a group of people who never had the full word of God? And the leader of that, of that group said, we now finally have the word. I saw pictures of a group of, of Korean, uh, uh, I think they were North Korean uh, students, where Bibles were smuggled into them, and they, they had them still in the wrapper, and they were just grabbing them and smelling it, and they, were, they couldn't get enough of it. And, and they were weeping and crying because they finally had the Word of God. And men, I see that and, and I realize, you know, I don't know. I, have I had 20 Bibles, 30 in my lifetime? I may have 20 on my shelf in my, in my office. Uh, do, do I cherish the Word of God? Can, can, I, can I get enough of His Word? Am I in the Word? Not simply when someone like myself might open it. that We might listen and hear. That's a powerful thing. It's a good thing. To have someone, as we see here, explaining, giving sense to it. What makes it unique to us today? How do you apply it? That's very important. But for you to long for it, you can't get enough of it. It is the word of God. The bread of life points us to the one who is the bread of life. But what we see here is that it cultivates his heart toward worship. It leads to repentance. And so the people, um, they, 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 they wept and they were mourning because they were convicted by the word of God, it says in verse 9. And then finally, number 6. God's word results in courage and strength. In verse 10, it says here, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine. He's saying this is a day of celebration. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You've heard that phrase. It's probably the most popular line from the book of Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is my strength. What does that mean? I think we see it, we say it maybe, or hear it. But what does that really mean? Well, first consider the fact that God takes great joy in us. Clearly, He is our joy. But consider this. In Isaiah 65, 19, it says, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. Isaiah 62, uh, 8. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride... So shall your God rejoice over you. And men, listen to this. I want you to be encouraged today. Uh, here's what it says in Luke 17. I want you to think back on the day when you came to faith in Christ. How many of you were, uh, say, 12 or younger when you came to faith in Christ? Raise your hand. How many of you were teenagers, 13 to 18, 19 years old? Gosh, another half of us or more. How many of you then were 20, let's say 20 to 40 years old when you came to faith in Christ? How many of you beyond that, that 40 year? Yeah, praise be to God. So I want you to think back on the day, on the moment. And I realize for some it could be a season, but you said that's when I came to faith in Christ. Uh, for me, I was, um, you know, it was settled for me. Uh, it's a, it's, I think it's a bigger, mysterious thing that God, how God saves us. But for me, it was settled. It was marked. I put the stake in the ground in my grandfather's house when my dad realized that I was asking all the right questions. And they walked me through what I, now I know is the Roman, Roman's road. 
And uh, I understood the scriptures. At nine years old, I wanted to come to faith in Christ. And I believe it was that day in my, in my grandfather's um, den. I still remember what it looked like. I remember the smell of that room. I remember uh, him sharing with me. I remember uh, praying with my father and my grandfather as I asked Christ to come in my heart. And it wasn't too long after that that I was baptized. And, uh, and my life was forever changed. But it says in Luke chapter 17, Jesus tells the story of the, the prodigal son. He, talk, he talks about a, a lost coin, a lost sheep, and then a lost son. All three stories tell him the same. And each story uh, would end with celebration after the thing that was lost was found. And then he says, I tell you in the same way that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I just want you to imagine, men, on that day, when you came to faith in Christ, I just like to imagine that all of heaven stopped for a moment and celebrated over your life, that you came to faith in Christ, that every time, you know, every time someone comes to faith, I just like to think there's a celebration in heaven. Um, like the old, you know, every time you hear a bell, the angel gets his wings, you know, uh, in the, it's a wonderful life. Every time a believer comes to faith in Christ, everything stops and there's a great celebration in heaven. And there was a day, there was a day when you came to faith in Christ. There was a day when I came to Christ. And there was a great celebration in heaven and, and the banner across that celebration on that day in heaven had my name on it. And all of heaven rejoiced because a little boy came to faith in Christ. The same happened with you. And could it be that today, that this week, in this season of our lives, we could be a cause for celebration in heaven as we share the gospel, share the good news with someone who could cross that line of faith and all heaven would rejoice. The Lord delights in you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He will take great delight with you, it says in Zephaniah chapter 3, 17. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You see, abiding in him, obeying him is what brings joy. Listen to John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, listen to this, you know what? My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The joy of communion with him and doing his will is our strength. You know this. When you follow him, knowing him, abiding in him, and obeying him is your strength. And that will be your strength today. Obeying and abiding in the Lord brings great joy. So lastly, here's number seven. God's word leads us out with joyous celebration. Men, listen, a godly man uh, makes corporate worship a priority in his life. That's what we see here. And, and a godly man will lead his family and others around him to worship the Lord weekly and not miss a moment. You'll be, you'll be committed and devoted to the gathering. So here's what I want to do is challenge you as we close with your personal life, the priority of God's word in your personal life. To determine if you're not in a, in a rhythm, a pattern, uh, this is a good season to do so. In this Easter season, make this the time. Determine a time. You've got to have a time, so write that down. I encourage the morning. I always think it's best in the morning to face the day. You've got to go to bed on time. The key to that is going to bed, waking up early. For some of you who have kids, it's hard to do, but you can do it. 
Designate a place. Determine a time. Designate a place. Make an appointment with God and be there. And then design a plan. Simple plan. Some of you can go find a simple plan on an app. Read the Bible through. Read a book. Uh, uh, I practice journaling. I started when I was in college just to write down. Uh, you know, when you read the passage, read a verse, uh, you ask the questions, what is God saying? How will I obey? Whom will I tell? Don't be distracted, men. Commit to it. And God will change your life. Uh, I want to ask you, you know, as we talk in our, in our, around our tables today, I want to encourage each other. Let's be honest. How are we doing in our personal time before the Lord? Are you in the Word of God? If not, let's, you know, let's claim it. And I'm not, not so good these days. Uh, I'm struggling in that. Let's, let's encourage each other on. Let's love each other. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Because over time, spending time in His Word daily will transform your life. Uh, not unlike, you know, gathering as a family. You might gather with your family over dinner. And, uh, and you might think, man, this is, this is one of the worst dinners we've ever had. Everybody's arguing. Our kids are all throwing food everywhere. You know, you, you do that enough. And you say, this one single time just made no difference at all. You do that over the course of weeks. You do it over the course of 20 years. It'll change the course of your family. Gathering together. Same is true when you work out, right? You go to the gym and after the workout, you look in the mirror and say, man, I look about the same. You, get, you go about every day. You know, go a few times a week, uh, perhaps, over the course of 20 years. That'll change your life. Uh, same way with the Word of God. May you be committed to His Word. May it be a practice in our lives. And out of this, then, they kind of rediscovered the Feast of Tabernacles. We see it in chapter 8. Verse 13 through 18, that's a celebration back to their great exodus. And today, what I want us to do is um, uh, our, our, our facilitators, leaders, we have a series of questions we want to ask, but really coming out of Hebrews chapter 10, you can see it there, verse 24 and 25. Let's read this together. This is one of those let us consider. Let's read it together. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, now as we enter into conversation together to spur one another on, to, to encourage each other, I, play, I pray you'd bless each man in each life. Let us be honest about uh, where, we, uh, where we're failing and where we're not, not committed to you as we should be, not acting on what we know is right and good. And help us to encourage each other. Teach us, Lord, to love your word and be devoted to it. I pray for every man here that today would be a day that he lives in the strength of your spirit upon him. And that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. And now, Lord, use this time before we head into the day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. All right, let's go.